welcome to the Wellness Pie Shop, where each episode we delve into a different slice of wellness in hopes of nourishing ourselves. With the help of special guests and a little of our own irreverent insight, we'll dive into some of the ingredients that make up the whole of Wellness Pie. We're your hosts, Dina Searden. And I'm Rachel Piaz. Thanks for joining us. Now grab a cup of tea, sit back and relax, and enjoy a piece of Wellness Pie. So welcome to the Wellness Pie Shop. And on today's episode, we have Doug Hurd, who's joining us all the way from Atlanta. And Doug, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I feel feel really, really lucky to be here. So Now, if you'll do us the honor to just tell us a little bit about yourself, Doug. Yeah, sure. So um, I am coming, coming to you from Atlanta, and um, that's where I live, and I have lived there my whole life so far. I don't anticipate staying here my whole life, but so far that's where I've been. And I grew up here, um, grew up Southern Baptist and homeschooled. So for folks who are not super familiar with Southern Baptist, it's broadly kind of like the, I would say middle of the road of the sort of conservative fundamentalism. We're not like the far right, but we're not really the left of fundamentalism, whatever that would be. Uh, And so I very theologically and politically conservative at church and, you know, homeschooling, which uh, in case I need to say that also very theologically and politically conservative as a movement on the whole. (laughs) And so although there, there was a, supposedly a contingent of Wiccan homeschoolers in Georgia who also wanted to pull their kids out for the sake of not having them taught all wow. of the Christian values that they would be taught in Georgia public schools. So um, I wasn't allowed to play with those kids. I, I never actually met them, but um, they sound cool. Those Wiccans. And, yes. So, so I grew up in church, grew up taking it really, really seriously. Um, when I went to school, I, I wrestled for a long time with what I wanted to do, but I decided that I wanted to be a minister. And so I thought I would get a degree in social work as an underpinning for that. And a- around that time, a couple things happened. One, just the process of getting a degree in social work. You you encounter ideas that are different from what you encounter at Southern Baptist <laughs> Church land, um, many of which I had encountered before in some way or another, but I think sitting there and reading them and thinking about them deeply was big and even bigger, um, I think, for the people I met, not actually through college, but this is around the time that I, I met Fenn and um, just her whole contingent of folks. And when she was on here, you talked at length about the community that she, which she says is accidental. <laughs> that is one of the most intentionally loving people on this planet. Like, and she isn't, she isn't like, haha, I'm going to make a community. She's not like that. She just loves people well and people show up for that, you know? So she's like, I just will take whoever shows up. And I'm like, yeah. And you treat people in a way that they keep showing up, but uh, <laughs> you know, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But um, met Finn and then also uh, did an internship with a group in Atlanta called Men Stopping Violence, who um, does a lot of work with um, domestic violence. And specifically, they do a lot of advocacy work, but the sort of core of the program is um, an intervention class for men who have been violent in one way or another. Some of them identified by the court system, many of them uh, identified by their partners or their attorneys in the divorce case or whoever saying, you know, you got to go, you got to go do this. And so through, through that process really kind of shifted what I believed and how I approached the world and took a long time. But after a while, um, I was, I finished up undergrad, I began working in a church and going to seminary and the sort of combo there um, of uh, working in a church and nothing spectacular or dramatic, but just having church drama that sort of eroded some of the community there and the people that I kind of relied on 
coupled with being in seminary and sort of like, it's like when you go to your childhood home and you like pick up all the floorboards and you find out that there's mold under there and you go, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't expect this. And, th and that combo led me to a real crisis of faith. I fell back on the social work degree. I kind of, I came to a point where I just didn't feel like I could with integrity keep teaching scripture to kids because I was just like, I don't know what of this I even really believe. And so I fell back on my social work degree. I worked in child welfare for a couple of years. Um, and then came to where I am now, where I work in a residential treatment facility for people with mental illness. And um, I specifically work in our vocational services office. So I help folks kind of figure out what they want to do after treatment. And this is another reason I'm excited to be here is so much of what I do is I help people figure out what are my values? How can I express those values in the world around me? And it's so exciting for me when someone comes into my office and says, I don't know what I care about because it's so much to dig into. And also they usually have had a lot of distress with that. Like that's usually not someone who's like coming into my office on a good day being like, I have no idea what I care about and I'm happy with that, you know? And so I, I love these conversations that kind of normalize that discussion of what is it I value? What is it I care about? So that is, I feel like I was talking for a long time and also somehow that's the short version of my life thus far. <laughs> oh, so. that, that, was, that was great. I know exactly why Fen suggested you to be on our podcast already. I want to, before we dive in any deeper into that, the analogy that you just said of going to your home and pulling up those moldy floorboards, you know, and what we talk about is values being the foundation, right? Being that pie crust, what an analogy to start us off of like, well, sometimes those values that you think you built are not what they really mean to be. And they are molded. And I just, I just love that. I, I'm, I wrote it down and um, I just, it really sticks with me because, you know, the foundation, that's the foundation. And you think it's this perfect, you're nostalgic, your childhood home, it's all of these things. And then I don't want to say dirty little secrets, but there's some truth things, to that. Yeah. There's some <laughs> things under there that, that you found um, didn't align. And then you you know, you're that kind of perfect example of you thought this was your trajectory. You were going to go this way. These were your values of your family. And then, oh, oh no, I don't really like that. That doesn't really align with me. So I'm going to go back to, you know, what was kind of your, your backup or your, your stepping stone to being a minister. Um, and so I just, I'm really excited to kind of, you know, find out more about, about your values. Um, before we get into that though, I, I, I just need wanted to say something. And that was, I just wonder, you said that when you went to college, you got your degree in, in social work and you started doubting, right? Questioning, but you still went to seminary afterward. Yeah. What, what led you to return to the church after questioning it? Yeah. You know, it's, that's a, that's a great question. And I think chronologically, I, I, I didn't get so far as to have a a break with the church between undergrad and grad school, um, or both, well, between undergrad and seminary. I think I wrestled a lot. I think a couple things happened. One is the, the church that I was going to, um, that I later worked at, there were some really great people there um, who I was really connected to and who I could talk about questions with and who were really supportive. And I think in some ways, it, speaking of it being a foundation, when I finally did hit that crisis point in my faith, I described it once as sort of the bottom dropping out, which is very much what it felt like. And so I think 
the faith as I understood it was a cosmology. It wasn't just like my religious belief, but it was like, here is what life, the universe and everything are literally all about. And so I think, hey, I, I really believed it. I was very genuine. I was very concerned with the faith and with understanding it and with, you know, living it out. And I think I, in a lot of ways, was in love with it too. I mean, and I, and I think we'll maybe get into this later, but even a lot of my values, even if I expressed them in ways that are very distressing to my Sunday school teachers, a lot of my values did, did come from my faith. I, and, and so, I, and I think that there, were, there was a desire to kind of hold on to that. And then I think there were parts of me that I just sort of thought it was true. And I think another piece growing up, I spent a lot of time really believing that all of the the Christian story was real, but that it may not be working for me. Like I had a lot of fear of like, what if I'm not a real Christian, which in mm. my world meant that I'll go to hell when I die. And so like, I didn't really doubt like God or Jesus or the Holy spirit or, or any of the stories, but you doubt yourself. Yeah. And my relationship to all of them. Mm -hmm. And you. I think, and so I think in some ways um, it took a long time for me to actually doubt the stories as such. I think I spent so much existential angst and energy on my relationship to these things that I sort of took for granted were true, that it was a while before I actually did get to the point of like, and it really was seminary and I did do it on purpose. Like I went to seminary and then started like learning about how scripture was constructed and how uh, human much of that process was um, that I started to be like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know? And uh, so that was, I. I I'm not sure how directly that answered your question, but that was sort of the process that kept me from fully breaking away. Um, no, that make I mean, it makes it makes perfect sense. You went to college and you started doubting, but it was not the stories. It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't the faith. It was you in relation to faith, or you in relation to God, or something's mm -hmm. just wrong with me mm -hmm. being you because yeah. I can't make this work for me. Is what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that. And then I think too, I, I spent a lot of time trying to uh, approach the Bible as if it was a more progressive work than maybe it is. <laughs> and, I, and I think that, okay, I, I do think the Bible is far more progressive than I learned about it being a Southern Baptist. I think there's stuff in there that is... Uh, is more progressive than, than that view gives it credit for. And there are like really awesome, and there's some cool communities in Atlanta. You know, Dr. King's home church is, you know, a couple miles from here, you know, and there are these really amazing communities who've done really cool stuff in the world and who organize themselves around this Christian faith. And so I, I think that was also part of it is I was like, well, maybe there's a way to like these newfound values around women's rights and LGBTQ rights. And all, maybe there's a way I can make that fit. And, and, and I do want to say in deference to some of my more progressive Christian friends and betters, like that there are people who find a way for that to fit. Ultimately I couldn't. And I think that led to the break. Um, but I think I tried that. It was like, it was actually one of my friends who, who wasn't a Christian who I was talking to about my concerns. And he was like, okay, you've been taught like the narrowest sliver of the way to approach Christianity literally that has ever been taught in history so like maybe you like try a mainline denomination before you just <laughs> chuck it all and uh and so I, I think that was also that was part of it um and it, ultimately that project didn't work for me um but i think that was part of the idea there so you, you touched on values and what you got from the church but i'm really curious for you to actually tell us 
what was the process? What are your values? And how did you get to the values that you're at today? If that makes sense. Yeah. If they've changed. Um, yeah, I think they, they, you know, they have. And I'm interestingly not sure if for the better, and I don't necessarily actually attribute that to the, the change in faith. I think one of, one of my values is kindness. And I can already hear some people in my life laughing. Um, so I want to say one of my favorite quotes is, is Thich Nhat Hanh has this quote where he says that, um, you know, the North Star, no sailor has ever looked to the North Star as a destination. You know, it's not like, let me get to the North. Let me know where the North Star is so I can see where I am in relationship to it. You know, and and kindness is a North Star for me. I wouldn't claim mm. to have arrived there. I can see why some people might laugh if they were to hear me say that that's a first value for me. And it is something that I very much, very much accountable to that. Like I, I feel that like if I start to notice being unkind, that will cause distress. And it, it's a value in that way. And interestingly, I think I actually exhibited that value maybe better or more. But yeah, I think as a kid, I, I think... I exhibited kindness in a more unreserved way. I think that more people would have been like, oh yeah, Doug or Douglas as it, as it was when I was a kid really cares about kindness. And I think that as I've grown, um, and I think that this also happened for me with you know meeting Fenn and, and others in the gay community with Men Stopping Violence really kind of asking me to think through my privilege as a cisgender, heterosexual, white man um, and asking me to think about the ways that for their work specifically, women are, are harmed by domestic violence and by male violence generally. I think uh, another value of mine is justice. And I think that that tension there is what I sometimes have a hard time with. Like how do, how do kindness and justice, justice dance together um, in a way where neither is diminished? Because I think sometimes my, sometimes in my anger over injustice, I can get to an unkind place. And I think that's an interesting thing. And, and sometimes I'm like, maybe that's okay. Like maybe it's okay to like, go hard on these things and take the gloves off a little bit. Maybe it's even necessary, you know? And then there's a question of like, who am I being kind to? And, and I don't know if I'm being kind to the more marginalized person in a thing, maybe that works, you know? And then well, maybe starting with, I... maybe just starting with kindness. What, what's the definition of kindness? You know, is kindness always being gentle? Mm -hmm. Because it could be kind to, you know, do tough, use tough love on your, drug using child that could be a kindness even though in the moment it feels not so much at all yeah yeah well that's He's interesting because I do think about some of the some of the people that I have felt most loved by I mean I think there's a general tenor of them like being nice to me but I also think that there is sometimes in that uh like that person loved me enough to confront me you know loved me enough to point something out and that and and though it's hard in the moment to receive that I often in retrospect will go, okay, yeah, that was, was loving. So, and sometimes that's not how I do it. Sometimes I don't do the loving intervention thing. Sometimes I'm just like, all right, I kind of like a good fight. And this person just said something racist on the internet. So here I go, you know, and I think that sometimes that's a, that can be its own sort of unproductive and unhelpful and privileged response. Yeah, so. but I think what you, what you said, which is like, I, I'm sitting here, like I'm processing it so deeply is, and we have yet to hear this on this podcast and it's something I'm taking away, which is you set a value that you use as a, as a destination point, as a point that you continue to work towards to achieve. Mm -hmm. And I've never really thought of values as, 
as something that you're, you're working towards constantly is like, you know, you're the way I we've talked about it is like, this is how you live your values and this is how you are your values. And yet when I actually think about a lot of my values, I would use your North star analogy is that is the point in which I am looking towards to go in that direction. Not necessarily, am I there? Is that North star my destination? But the journey in which I am trying to live a more authentic life. I am trying to be more kind. I am trying to be more justice-based in the way that I navigate myself. And so I, I, what we're talking about in this current thing is this kindness idea or this justice idea is you are telling us that that is your destination. Your destination is to always be more kind or more based in justice, not necessarily that you are all of that all the time. And I find that very human of you. And, and what you're saying makes me feel very comforted in the fact that I might not be living a hundred percent in my values, but I am in that North star point of, I see it. That is where I want to go. And that's the direction that I'm heading. Um, and so I, I appreciate that because it, it validates my humanness by you sharing your humanness. So I just, I just want to kind of say that, I guess. And I think we talked about it a little bit last week too. It was, but it was not so succinctly said, right? Mm -hmm. It was, we are not all, we have not attained self-actualization, right? It's always, we're always reaching and striving for more. And the idea of having the North Star as a guide for our values is also a wonderful metaphor for me because yes, it's, it makes me more human, but it also, you know, sometimes we just get turned around and we can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because they're clouds, which could just be events in life that sort of cloud our vision, cloud our ability to clearly see what it is, where it is that we're going. So that racist person on the Internet, that's the cloud. Yeah. That's the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I, I'm trying to remember what the story was, but I, I believe, you know, take on Han, this Buddhist monk who's like leading or, or in leadership in, in this group of Buddhist monks and a, a younger monk comes to him. And I, I forget what it was, but I think it was something like with bugs and, you know, in that cosmology, you like, everything is, is reincarnation and karma. And so you don't kill things um, as, as a Buddhist and like this, and I, I think he was like getting stung by mosquitoes and he like would slap the mosquitoes and he says ah i'm trying to do non-violence and i'm here and, and that's where technology Han says like look it, it's non-violence is a north star it's not a and so yes to your point about those clouds and those those mosquitoes that it's it, it's this idea of you're you're reorienting yourself around this um and you're accountable to it like technology Han wasn't like yeah as a buddhist monk i'm telling you to not sweat the whole non-violence thing like he was like yeah no non-violence is our north star and you're to your point you're human you're, and you're not going to get to the North Star and it would burn you up if you could. <laughs> you know, you're trying, <laughs> yes, it you're, would. You, but you're using it to figure out where am I and where must I go next or where might I go next? And now I have this vision in my mind of kindness being such a, an immense feeling and space that it's just a ball of burning energy, right? A star of kindness. That's anyway, yeah. this energy that is just so positive that we couldn't possibly touch it. Yeah. And so powerful. And when I think about like people that I admire for their kindness, like they get stuff done and they change things and they, and they expose sometimes at great cost to themselves, which I think is, is one of the harder things about kindness is that it's, it's the least it's, it's, there's not a lot of shortcuts 
if you're trying to make changes and do so in a kind way. And, but there, there are people that really get a lot done. It, there's so much power to it. And, and I think the harnessing too, I mean, the harnessing of that impulse to go off on someone because they gave you an excuse to, or even because even if we could say they deserve it, you know, but that the harnessing of the impulse to say, I deserve to be able to be the one to hand that to them, you know, um, feels like a, a really, a really powerful thing that I don't have yet, um, or at least don't in all situations. So, yeah. Well, you're in a very small boat in a very big ocean following a teeny <laughs> tiny star. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, yes, I, find it, I find it interesting too, um, just kind of popped into my head. Kindness and justice go very hand in hand in the regards of like, we're talking about this, this racist on the internet. And it's hard for myself when I think of justice to not have kindness, right? You kind of, kind of go, Hey, we think when you think justice, you're like, well, if you're just kind to everybody. And if you're just supportive of everybody and you're just all love and kindness, then, then justice hopefully comes justice, hopefully follows. Um, and so I find it interesting that those were your first two and we cut you off before you got to talk about any more. We'll go there. Sorry about that. I do find it interesting that your first two really do go hand in hand with this idea of, of justice being, you know, like kindness, just if we could be a little bit more kind. And so I just, I just wanted to kind of point that out before I let you talk about your other, your other value. If you have any, I don't want to. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and I think, I think Ben mentioned this uh, when she was with you guys, um, where that, uh, that quote about that justice is just what love looks like in public, you know, and like that idea, right? Like if I am kind to everyone and if we could like extrapolate that or, you know, if we could all be kind to everyone or if we could somehow set norms, then then that's what sort of justice would be like, right? Is people being being safe and having enough and there being space for for people. And um, so, and I, yeah. I think it's also how you define justice, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And justice is very different from the law. Right. And- you know, so just real quickly, so we can get on to your next <laughs> values. How do you define justice? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is that is is there being a space for everyone. And I, on the one hand, that could feel really vague, and then on the other hand, I think it's almost it feels important to me polemically almost to let it be that simple, right? That like you know, in in wanting there to be a space for everyone, I'm not asking for some insane, impossible thing, you know, um, in, in wanting people who are different from the hegemonic power structures to, to have safety, not asking a whole lot, really. Um, there's a lot between us and there, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of harm in the meantime, but it's not actually that much to ask. And so I, I think that, 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 and I think, and this is not to jump ahead of your question, but I think they are related. Um, I, something I've been thinking a lot about lately as a value is the idea of safety. Um, and, and not in that necessarily the way that I think the critique of you damn millennials with your safe spaces. And I don't, I have a critique of that critique and I'm not talking about that. But I'm thinking about like, just like, and I think working in child welfare, you know, investigating child abuse, working with an anti-domestic violence organization, some of the work I've done since then kind of freelance and like helping you know, communities figure out how to deal with harms that have happened and make themselves safe going forward. I think I think a lot about what does it look like to create and maintain safety um, in spaces. And I think about that as being a component of justice too. Like part of what we sort of owe the world is to show up in a way that isn't harmful to others. And to the extent we have power to leverage that power to, to ensure that 
others are not harmed. So like there's that initial step of like, how can I not be harmful? And then how can I participate in a way that's maintains that? And so, and that's very much been stopping violence. I and mean, their influence is very much like, okay, we're going to ask you to do a lot of work on yourself. Think about ways that you've walked in, in privilege and harmed people and, you know, been controlling, been abusive, been patriarchal and, and white supremacist in your approach to the world. And then we're going to say, all right, you got to, you got to challenge other men. Like, it's not just enough for you to not be like doing this in your own life, but you've actually got to show up in a way that if there's another man in your community, who's being harmful that you're saying, Hey buddy, you got to stop this. And then I think, so I think extrapolating that out, that that feels like part of justice too, is that that space where people are, people are safe to be who they are. People have, people have, you know, basic human rights like food and shelter and clothing and healthcare, um, which is a radical thing to say, but only in this country, any other country, you can be like, people should have healthcare. People are like, well, well, duh, but you know, things, things like that. And then um, that to the extent that power structures are there, that, that people on the lower end of a power structure aren't um, at risk for being harmed. That, that feels like a very, I'm realizing I don't have a succinct definition for justice and that's- Doesn't that's matter. What it's no, it's, it's what it is to you. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that safety that you said that because I didn't, when you said it, I was like, oh, that, that makes so much sense. And then yes. you went in to describe it and I was like, oh, that's, for, I agree with you. That is a part of justice. And I don't think that people think about it that way. And so I appreciate, I appreciate you for sharing <laughs> because I think for our listeners and myself, it's a new way for me to think of, of justice. I feel like it's honestly a kinder way for me to think about justice is that idea of safety. Um, I think safety is that, that kindness part of justice that I, I feel like for me, at least is that, that that's the kindest, that's the kind part is the safety part. In turn, that's really helpful for me to hear because I, I really resonate with that. And that, that helps me kind of conceptualize it all in a, in a way that holds together a little bit. So were there other values that, <laughs> that we cut you off? Yeah, I, I think those are some of the big ones. I think, I think community is one too, which has been interesting for me. I really value people and connecting with people. And, you know, I'm a social worker, you know, so helping profession and I, and I enjoy it like I do. And sometimes I find at the end of a day of working with people, I am like peopled out. And so I think, I think that's been a, a tension for me to think through. And then there's the pandemic kind of happened and I started to realize like, okay, well, there's, there's being peopled out. And then there's literally, you have a day of working over zoom with, with your clients and then no human interaction. And so we, it was going the other way. And so I'm thinking through exactly what to do with this, but I, I do really believe that community is important. And, and ultimately I think humans thrive in, I think we do our best in, we're pack animals, right? Like we do, we do our Absolutely. best. Absolutely. In community and some of us that can look different than others um like i i've kind of become more introverted as as i've aged um which is a, a kind of funny i don't know if i broke or if if that was just <laughs> just uh, a change that that was made uh or that that i came to um or if it was just you know being homeschooled and wanting to hang out with other kids and so then in my 20s it was just like all other people all the time and now in my 30s i'm like well you know, finding a middle ground, but I, I really value community. And I think I'm still trying, that's another North star. It's just still something I'm trying to figure out what exactly to do with and how to be engaged enough and not over-engaged and figuring out what that looks like. So sort of learning what, how much community works for you and when to sort of back away from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
as you were talking about the Zoom thing and connecting and and this lack of you know actual human interaction in the presence of another human, mm-hmm. right? I, I was this probably has nothing to do with anything, but I was thinking <laughs> I love this. Right. Ah. <laughs> um, Boat out in the big sea, right? Hey, let's go where we go. <laughs> but, uh, that's right. But the, I, I do feel like there is something energetically necessary mm-hmm. in being a pack animal, in being in a community that, you know, absorbing the energy of others that is hopefully a positive. And we know that it's also easy to absorb that negative energy. And you get these groups of people that, you know, their pack is a, one that consists of a fairly negative energy. And then there's others that have a more positive energy, not to judge, um, but from where I sit down here at the bottom of my canyon, not up in an ivory tower. <laughs> um, at least I hope that's who, how it is, or at least on a little playing field. At any rate, I digress. I, I, it was just a thought that crossed my mind was that I think energetically we do need those human connections and that community and presence, physical presence of others, whether that's one human being and that's enough to make up your community for an introvert or hundreds of people to make your, up your community as an extrovert might need. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I um working in mental health care and I work specifically at a residential treatment facility. And so because of that, we were able to get um, some vaccine doses. Um, and so I was able to be vaccinated and, and I am very lucky that I had a job that both could be done logistically and then also had supervisors that would allow it to be done uh, from, from home. And, um, and as, as I was able to get the vaccine and my colleagues and our patients were able to get it, you know, I've been able to be back in the office and we're still wearing masks and distancing from one another. But one of my coworkers was like, do you, do you feel obligated to wave at people because you wave a lot? And I was like, no, I'm just really enjoying actual humans coming across my field of vision, like in three <laughs> dimensions, you know, and, and not just on a screen. And so, yes, I think that, that, that energetic, even at that, like, wearing masks on the other side of like a window is still just like there's an actual person there in a way that's been really cool so funny i also want to throw out there being an animal person um i don't think we give animals enough credit for being community members Mm -hmm. um and i'm just gonna throw that in there because i'm an introvert i'm the most extroverted introvert you'll ever meet Mm -hmm. and um i get a lot of my connection like my again, that introverted extrovert connection from animals, because it is a a very one-sided conversation. Um, However, there is also that, that refueling that I get from interacting with them. Um, So I just had to call them out because I like my animals and they just needed to holler in this, uh, in this podcast. I also want to say and take a moment to appreciate you because I'm putting myself in the perspective of some of the clients that you work with and how refreshing it must be for them to have somebody. I know you mentioned in the beginning that a lot of what you talk about is that vocational and finding what is their, what are their values and how refreshing and, and supportive it is for them to have somebody on their side that is so open to say that this is a journey for you and that you don't, you're not there all the time and you're still learning and you're still finding out definitions for your values and new values. And I just want to take a moment and appreciate you for that. Cause I think that that sometimes in roles of being in the mental health care, in the mental health field, we could be put up on a pedestal 
and that we have it all figured out and we're, we, we're good. We've figured out life. We got the handbook. We've aced all the tests. And I, it, it's just really nice to hear. Um, Dina does this for me too sometimes where it's just like the human side of it. And um, that is just really nice and kind that your clients get somebody that is human and is authentic um, to help them. Because I think that that that's everybody needs to know that you don't have it figured out all the time. Thank you for that. I, I, I do think that is, I, I think that is something. <laughs> and, I, and I think sometimes it, it, maybe it's the homeschool kid who tried to engage <laughs> the real world. and was just like, I'm just never going to be cool. Like I can be me and, and likable or whatever, <laughs> but like, I'm just not going to be one of the cool kids who is just like, I, I just, <laughs> it's not even that I'm like super authentic guys. I just am like, I'm just not good at playing the game, I guess. And so I think that is the thing that, that perhaps comes through hopefully is that, that not having it all together, even if I'm not, you know, talking about my life in the way that I, I would hear. Yeah. And it's funny to what you said last week, I, or two weeks ago, I was, I was working with a young woman and we, we did this career assessment thing and it suggested that she might want to be a mental health counselor. And she's like, I don't know. I mean, I, okay, I'm the person that a lot of my friends come to for advice, and I think I give pretty good advice, but my own life is a train wreck. I mean, she's like, like, like I'm here. I'm <laughs> Welcome to the club. Like, I know. I was like, okay, so Georgia State has a great social work program. And, <laughs> and, I, and, and actually what I said to her is I was like, yeah, so you sound a lot like my coworkers and my cohort when I was in grad school and undergrad. Like you, you, if that is your only objection, you sound like one of us, you know? And so it, it is, it is that kind of funny thing. I, some, some, my, my two best friends in undergrad and I, we had this joke that we would be each other's staff because we could all help other people organize their lives. <laughs> but like we're really bad at organizing our own. And I realized I've just described, you know, the, the perfect definition of codependence, but you know, we, <laughs> we all graduated. That's all I'm saying. We all graduated. <laughs> and if you have a job, then you've, you've done what you needed to do. There, there I think go. that's also, that, that's, um, I think that's some of the issues sometimes of people wanting to find help is, mm -hmm. They look at a therapist, they look at a social worker, they look at somebody in that position like, oh, they must have everything figured out. They must be doing everything right. And there's automatically that disconnect of like, I don't want to tell this person who I put on a pedestal because they are doing all this that I don't have my shit together because they're going to judge me. And, and I think that there needs to be a lot more of the conversations that we're having right now of social workers therapists are people too. They don't have their shit together. It just means that they are good at helping other people put their shit together. That's all really it is, is that they're just good at helping other people put their shit together. And hopefully exactly. they have some awareness of themselves so that as yeah. they're helping put other people together, they can also work on following their North Star. I heard yeah. one, I heard one, somebody said to me when I was like deciding, because I had a lot of the same things of like, I can't do this. Like, I, what do you mean? I can't help somebody. I can't help myself. And this person said to me, she decided to become a social worker because it helped her help herself by helping mm -hmm. others. She was helping herself by having, you know, they talk about transference and counter-transference and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but there's, there's a plus side to that, right? There's that reflection that comes when working with a client that you're like, oh, why am I having this? thought about this client. And then you get to take that home and you've learned the skills to hopefully put them into effect into your own life. And I just thought that was always so funny where it's like, she is in this field because she needs to be in this field in order to help herself. And um, I take a lot from that. Cause I think that that's some of the reasons sometimes I do this is like, it keeps me 
always progressing because I want to be the best version of myself for my clients. And the best version of myself is somebody who's continuously working on themselves and continuously, honestly, getting triggered. And then looking at those triggers <laughs> and then being like, all right, why am I in this zone right now? Just, drop right. the mic there, there man. That's so true. Oh, yeah. Oh, why man. am I triggered? I never, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, like it's, oh, man. Yeah. So <laughs> some of the things that people bring you and, you, and you're like, all right, my job is to be present with them right now. And Ah, you know, yeah. you're like melting inside and like, you know, internal organ hemorrhaging from the scream you're holding in and, and, and they know. walk out the door and you're like, yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. you're calling your therapist. Be like, yeah. hey. Well, but, and I think that's been one of the best parts of it too, is that there are times where I don't remember the specific example, but there was one time where I was on, or this actually may have been in the before times uh, when I was meeting with my therapist in the same room together willy-nilly with no regard for for our health it just it seems bananas now but um where like I was like bringing something and he kind of gave me some stuff to think about and I was just like I literally said that sentence to a client this morning (laughs) you know and and I think in some ways that to your point that has been helpful because it's been kind of like okay if my voice my internal voice towards myself is something I would never say to another person what is that about, you know, and, and what would it be like to be like, just maybe somewhere underneath everything and all of the shoulds and I should do this and that, which, you know, early experiences of Christianity have some of that. I think being the kind of kid who was just like, I think if I, if I had been raised by like atheist parents, I still would have been like a kid with a really active conscience. Like I just, I think I came into the world feeling kind of guilty about something and, uh, or at least quickly picked it up. But like all of those shoulds and and if underneath all of that, I'm just a person who somewhere along the way makes mistakes and like, why would I use words to to talk about myself or to talk to myself that I I wouldn't for literally any other person? And that's been, you know, it's been encouraging. And it's also been like, yeah, like, like, like you said, Rachel, it's sometimes it's just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm triggered now and I have to deal with this. <laughs> and, and I have to deal with it because I have to be able to like, see this client again next week and yeah. be effective. So. But I think that just also goes to show that like, you know, hats off to us for choosing a field that the only way that you're going to be successful is if you're resilient and willing to do the work. Because mm-hmm. the hardest part is like you just said, you have to see that that trigger again. You have to constantly see that trigger again. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I want to be, I want everything that I'm saying to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I can do it authentically, if I weed through that conscious inside myself and that critic inside myself, so that that trigger eventually becomes less of a trigger. And to make that choice to do that as a job, it just goes to show how resilient social workers and mental health practitioners are because really hard <laughs> yes really hard. well yeah and you know it's funny as as you say I think it, it absolutely does that and I think looking back and this is more like even when I was thinking about being in ministry and I was doing social work as a, a stepping stone and and all of that I think there was a big part of me that was like trying to get into helping others to uh you know avoid dealing with all of my own stuff so I actually don't think I knew fully what I was walking into. I don't think I was aware that I was signing up for having to do my own work. I was like, this is, I'm going to get paid to like avoid my own stuff. You know, and I, well, that's, <laughs> that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think I went in, yeah, I, I think I went into it very much that way. And then, you know, that, that falls apart pretty, pretty quickly. So, 
So I will take your your kudos for staying in it after I realized it wasn't going to help me avoid. But I going into go. it knowing it was going to take resilience was not what happened. <laughs> And I think we've already talked a little bit about the conflict that you've experienced between your values and what sh- what helped shape them. But has there been another time in your life um, outside just, not just, but outside of moving away from home and seeing that maybe what was happening in the outside world wasn't the same as you were taught in homeschooling and in your faith community? Has there been another time that you're values have been shaken or you've come into conflict? Um, there, there certainly, there certainly have. Um, I, I want to make sure I'm understanding like you're kind of meaning like other than the sort of existential crisis that you had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spiritual existential crisis. Yes. Sure. There have been, I mean, I think it, it's funny. I, I think that's uh, an easy one to point to because it does loom so large and because it is just very much this hinge on, you know, I had to go find a different career, you know, which is actually That's less big. distressing than finding a different <laughs> cosmology. You know, I was like, I'll find another job, but I got to find something else for the universe to be about. Um, <laughs> which I, I, that's a thing I appreciate about religion. There's not a lot of other things that are a one-stop shop for all the big answers. And, um, you know, and so there, there wasn't any one other thing that I was going to find that was going to replace all of that. Um, I think hmm, that's a really good question. I, I'm not sure if I have, I'm sure I do have stories about that. I'm trying to think where that, that might show up. Well, if none come to mind, I mean, it's, it is a huge existential crisis or, interruption Mm -hmm. that you experienced and uh the way that you just put it was there's not really a replacement for that whole one-stop shop (laughs) cosmology right i mean he's changing a job is easier than changing a cosmology and i love this it's it's absolutely true and i had never considered that especially Um, when your your whole life was essentially your cosmology right your mm -hmm. homeschool reason was for that your reason for going to your job was for that was it kind of all was all of it was one thing together and then you were like I'm I'm just gonna kind of like put dynamite in this and just go and decide to find something and then I'm curious to know how did you find another belief system that or have you have you found another what did we say what's the word I totally lost it cosmic cosmology Cosmology, yeah. Cosmology that aligns with you. Yeah. So I, I would say, yeah, there, there, there is a, there is a, something to report there. I don't know if it's been a, one other system. It's been a lot of different things. I love I that. One of the, one of the things that I'm most grateful for is this, this little um, community I found on the internet. Um, that's actually also a podcast called the life after. And, um, and it was just a couple of guys who were Christians who were in ministry and who kind of the, the term that is often used is deconstruction. Um, at least when you're like in evangelical or like deconstructed their faith and early on, they had a guest on their podcast. I don't remember who it was, but who talked about like, Hey, the things that you loved about Christianity, you're still allowed to love. Yeah. And like this, you don't have to like, to, so to the extent that Christianity talks about justice, and your heart kind of sung along to that all those years. You don't have to like not care about justice now. And you also don't have to buy into the idea that at least that I was taught, which is that there's, you know, there's no real authentic way to be moral outside of this faith or that um, when I got into the more progressive, but still conservative modes of it, that, you know, there's lots of really moral people out there, but they're, they're kind of borrowing our ideas if they're, if they're moral and not Christian. And 
you don't have to buy into that. Like you can be like, yeah, Christianity has occasionally said some really awesome things about justice and we can, and I get to like that. And I don't have to say, God, God created me to care about justice. I can be like, for whatever reason, when I heard about justice and its importance and ways to enact it, something in me was always drawn to that. And I can just acknowledge that that's, that's there. And, and that helped me, I think the break was traumatic. It was not fun and it still is a, a sad thing in some ways, but it, that helped me, helped me integrate. It helped me integrate and see a continuity between Christian Doug and post-Christian Doug. Um, and, and it helped me, it helped me see that. Um, and so I think in some ways it, it actually, it was interesting. I, I weirdly gained more appreciation for my faith after I lost it, where I was like, okay, well, what, what did I love about Christianity? And how do I still love that? And even that process let me kind of go, okay, well, it, there's some good things about where I'm at now and some sad things. And I can, I, can, I can let the people and the faith I grew up with be complicated, even as I'm complicated in a way that's pulling me out of it. And so, so that was part of it. I think maybe that's where the justice piece really became important is this idea that, you know, if, if I leverage my time and energy towards making the world better. I, even if I don't know what happens to me or to anyone after I die, that's something I can be okay with. And that's something I can, I can say, well, at least I did that. And, and so that's where I think maybe justice became a, and even it was, it was important to me before, but an even more important or stars, like, you know, what am I, what am I contributing to? Um, what am I opposing that's, that's wrong, that's unjust? And, and in that, there's been this weird sort of reintegration even of some aspects of Christianity. Um, I've been really influenced by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was this like Lutheran pastor in, in the 40s. And he actually came to America to study and had the option to stay, but felt that he, um, German Lutheran pastor, um, and felt that he would have nothing to say to his people if he didn't go back during the war. And so he went back and opposed Hitler. And depending on who you believe was perhaps involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler, which is another one of those like kindness, justice, tension things. Cause like murdering a dude in his sleep, not nice, but potentially just I, if, if, if the dude is Hitler, you know, so I, I don't know, but um, he wrote a lot. Um, he, he was arrested and, and died um, in, in a concentration camp. And he wrote a lot about living as a person of faith with what he called it without the working hypothesis of God, mm. where he was like, I don't have this idea that like Jesus is going to come out of the clouds and shut down the camps and rescue me and everyone in here. And I have some weird sense of, of faith and what does it look like to do that? And that's where I find the sort of uh, Jesus of, of history, very inspiring where I don't know really what box to put him in. But I, when I think of, when I think of what we're up against, right. And I, I think this, a lot of this coalesced for me shortly after George Floyd's murder last year and in the middle of this pandemic that was just being actively mishandled by everyone in leadership. Like it was like this bipartisan goal to just mess it up and let people die. And, and it was just this daunting, like we're just up against so much. And I, I think, and I was kind of like, I wish I had like a role model. And of course there are lots of role models, but like, I think the one that sort of came to mind was this, this Jesus of history, who was this kind of Jewish itinerant preacher who challenged the power structures, both of his hometown and his home faith and also of the occupying empire and the empire the one and the one thing that his religious leaders in his specific 
part of town and the empire in his specific part of town could agree on is that he had to go. And, and he went in a way that I think exposed a, a lot of those things. And so I, I think that, that that I find really inspiring. And so I, I've kind of said that I think I still worship Jesus or I worship him again. It may be more hero worship than deity worship at this point, but I, I, find, I find him really in, inspiring, um, even as I have no uh, theological formulations about him anymore. And so, and that it, it's this weird point of continuity and severe discontinuity with the, the faith I held before. So yeah. but it sounds like, I was just going to say, it sounds like it's been, it's been a struggle and it's an ongoing struggle and that's. Yeah. But I think what yeah. you said, which is, which I really liked, I had a similar conversation with a rabbi when I lived in Israel and it, I was struggling with my identity as being a Jewish girl and, um, you know, growing up fairly conservative. And he said to me, and I never heard this before. And he's like, well, really, if you peel everything apart and you, and you look at, at, you look at what God said to the Jewish people, it's like, you just, you just have to identify as Jewish. You just have to believe whatever you want as being Jewish. And it was the first time I looked at kind of what you're talking about, which is how do I integrate what I grew up and what I didn't like about that? How do I then take that all apart and integrate what I want in my own religious belief? And how do I become the Jew in this context that I can identify as my own instead of my parents, my community, my congregation, my synagogue, you know, all of those things. And so what I hear a lot about what you're saying, and I think what is really going to be helpful for a lot of our listeners is what comes with when you shed your values from your families and then come to mature into your own. And a lot of that comes from religion is how do you integrate the values that you like of your religion and your family upbringing into becoming values that align with who you are as an individual aside from that religious value. And for you, if you said it perfectly, justice, you heard about justice as a value in your religious sector. And then you had to have this kind of explosion of, oh, I don't like what they're saying, but I do like this part and I'm going to integrate it and I'm going to change its definition. So it's more aligned with how I want to live my definition of justice. And I, and I think that that's, I, again, back to your clients and I know you probably don't talk about that with your clients, but I know, <laughs> um, I know it comes out in how you speak because it's who you are, that that's really helpful for people is to learn how to identify what works for them and identify what doesn't and change it so that it aligns with them. And um, I imagine your clients, again, you probably don't talk about this, but I know it comes out. It's in the way that you speak and the way that can, you conduct yourself, because you've done it this entire time, is how to, how to be this person that's ever changing and ever changing their definitions of what they believe in to align with who they are in the present moment. I just really, I, I really like that about you. It's like, I'm just like really happy that you've been on our podcast. This has been great. So Doug, do you have a secret ingredient to your wellness pie? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm, thank you for that question. And I'm, I'm glad I got to hear Finn and Kim's uh, time with you and, and, um, and others to kind of note that that was coming. Um, yeah, I, I think something for, for me, so as I as I thought about that, I think something that has been a, a secret ingredient and maybe a saving grace is this curiosity. 
And I don't think I have, I think that can be a value for people. And I kind of don't think I actually have it. I actually was like, I did, I did about, I had this like crisis this morning. I was like, I know what I value, right? Like, I, I, I feel like I know that, but let me, let me do like a quick values inventory. And they were like, <laughs> what are your values? Maybe curiosity. And, and, and it's, it's, I don't know that it's that, but I think it's, it's as something I value or cultivate or anything. But I think, I think from the time I was little, I was just really interested in other people and in other people's experiences and things like that. And I, and I think that was something that, I mean, it, it helps me in my work, right? Cause for the most part, I, I like people and, and it's not often that I have a client in front of me where I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> and when it happens, it's like, okay, if I can find something I don't get about them, and I can ask that next question. And even if it's depending, it may not be within the scope of my role to ask that question of them, but to, that I can keep that as a wondering, like that's how I can kind of hang in there with, with whoever to be like, there's something I don't get. And that's, that's interesting. And that means there's, there's something for me to learn here, you know? Um, And I think it helps with assessing clients too. Like if I'm like, okay, well, I've, I, I have a pretty good feel. I've done this long enough that I, and I'm sure you guys get this too. And like your countertransference and you're like, okay, yeah, this is, this is the countertransference. I only feel when I'm dealing with this diagnosis. So pretty quickly I can, I can take a guess that this is what we're looking at. And I think that leaving room to let people surprise me um, in that it has helped me with that. It's, it's given me sort of a permission to say, I can, I can have that gut sense and I can have it up front and I can own it as long as I leave room for to be wrong um, and, and to be surprised about it and to kind of even celebrate that. Like, like, ah, it's, cause there are times where I have that kind of like, Oh, this is not a good, good prognosis. And then someone gets it together and I'm like, love being wrong in this instance, you know? Absolutely. And I, <laughs> and I think it was a big saving grace to, as I, you know, kind of moved from that kind of very sheltered upbringing. And, and I do want to say to her, parents are lovely people, lots of lovely people in the church I grew up in, you know, <laughs> and it was sheltered. It was, it was sheltered. Um, and as I moved from that into a different world and started having different experiences, I think I, I, on the one hand, I think sometimes my curiosity was probably too childlike where sometimes I, I probably like asked too much of, of people who were different from me in terms of explaining their experiences. Like I'm, I'm really lucky that I had that before we got to the age of really talking about emotional labor and telling people to Google it. And, and I, which is part of where now when I encounter other people in a similar boat, I will be like, Hey, okay, I, I've got a ton of privilege so I can like spare this. So let me just pull you aside and be like, let me tell, tell you some facts about this thing. But I, I had such, I think, interest in people who were different from me and who had different experiences than me. And I think that that opened a door for me to get to know them. And then in getting to know them and having their voices, there were things that I was like, Oh yeah, that, that resonates that I never heard it before, or I had only heard it critiqued from a pulpit. I'd never heard it from another soul who was owning it and was sharing it. And, and that, and that's not, I can't, I can't take any credit for that. I don't, I don't know why, but I came into the world curious and, and that has, that has benefited me. I love that. I love curiosity. I'm such a curious person myself. And last week, Rachel even said, you know, I just love learning. I love moving forward and just soaking up everything. And well, that's why we're here. Cause if we didn't, yeah, if we weren't curious, then we wouldn't be asking you questions. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I think curiosity, I mean, I've never really, I, I, until you said it, I like didn't think about it. And then when I look back at, you know, your thing like community and kindness, curiosity is a way to be kind. I mean, that's how you just mm. put it, right? If you have a client that you're not interested in, mm. yeah. you're not going to be essentially kind to them, but being curious about them is an expression of being kind. Absolutely, and, yeah. 
So I really, and same with your community, right? You Some of the issues or some of the limitations that come with being homeschooled in a, in a fairly religious home, there's not a lot of curiosity. You're very much, pretty much in a box. And like, the, you, don't, you don't have room to be curious because the Bible tells you what to do. Your mom is telling you what to study. The outside community is not something you want to be curious about. And so it's, it's no wonder that you kind of had this trajectory of life. If you said you were born with a lot of curiosity, it's no wonder you kind of went out to find other things, you know? And it's just, when you said that, it's just so aligned with everything else that you've said in this call and um, a back to the kindness and the safety and all of that is, is being curious and curious how you can continue to make an impact and curious on how you can support others and curious how to learn more about somebody that you can better provide them with safety or justice or kindness. Um, and curiosity, how you can continue to provide safety and kindness toward yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, you know, as a cisgender white male, you know, there is a need to provide some, some emotional safety in our current environment, right? You know, you may have it all, and I'm using air quotes here, mm-hmm. and you still need something for yourself and to be able to provide yourself some safety and kindness and not beat yourself up and not feel guilt or shame about who you came into this world as is super important. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the main mentors in my life years ago was in his office and he had this, this quote um, that he had just like printed out and kind of taped up on his wall. And it said something like self-care is not indulgence. Self-care is self-preservation. And in this system, that is an act of resistance. And I was like, oh, that's really good. And he, he is a, a gay black man um, <laughs> who is an immigrant here. And, and so and he said, yeah, it's really especially important for white allies. And I was like, okay, I didn't expect you to say that. And he goes, yeah, we don't actually need a bunch of y'all running around, not taking care of yourselves, joining the movement doesn't help, <laughs> you know? And, and that, and he's like, and sometimes you can get into like, because of the privilege, I don't have a right to stop and do those self-care things. And he's like, and you need to see that, that, and he's like, cause that's, that's the goal, right? Is that we're all being human together. And what we're yeah. fighting against is a system that denies all of us that, and it yeah. denies it differently to you than it does to us, but it does that. And so it, it, that's, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Nina, cause that's, it is a, uh, a weird it is a weird thing particularly here in Atlanta you've you've lived here before you know how how much is still alive for us that I think I, I think is there elsewhere but I think a lot of the rest of the country can can pretend is you know, what's, what's that I said just cover it up just throw a rug over it and it doesn't exist yeah it's like or if it does it's there in the south and and not here wherever it, it here is, is you know. it's in the south it's just and it just shows up more there yeah. And, and so um, I think, I think it is an interesting thing to figure out what does it look like to, to care for myself and to care myself while also acknowledging that I live in this society that is sort of dedicated to pampering me, you know, and like to subvert that and also not, not be like, I'm going to like do justice by like being cruel to myself or by forgetting that, like, what does that look like? And so that's, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's we to keep thinking on. Just keep thinking about that. Self-flagellation went out a long time ago. with the Yeah. 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 Not not Cat nine tails good. on your back. Doesn't help anyone. Doesn't help you. Doesn't help them. Doesn't help anybody. I really appreciate no. you coming on our podcast today. I feel like there's been a lot of a lot of different things that we've talked about than other podcasts before, and I always love that because 
It's my favorite thing to do is be learning and curious. And um, I think the one thing that's really that quote that you said about the North star is a really sitting deep with me right now and how I continue and, and use this podcast to help me create the stepping stones to growing into the woman and the social worker and the mental health practitioner that I want. And that is something that I'm going to not only use for myself, but take and um, share with others. Cause I think it's really human and I love that. And I just really appreciate your vulnerability today and sharing kind of how you've grown into who you are and how that, you know, how you serve others with that. And I just really appreciate, just appreciate you, appreciate you and your time today. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you, both of you. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I'm realizing is that I'm, and some of this is appropriate in, in a role, but I think sometimes I'm, I'm used to being at more settled places on things before I talk about them. And so like talking about myself and being like right here. And I'm like, sure, if I listen to this again in 10 years, I'll be like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, and and I think like, I don't know, you you both have this this presence and curiosity that that kind of invites that to be like, hey, yeah, this is this is where I am today. And it's honest and it's here. And and to not have that that worry about like I've got to be at a settled place on these things, because that's that's part of the fun, right? Yeah, that's absolutely. right. And I really appreciate you saying that too, because I think that what we're trying to create is a space where people can be safe while they're talking to us. And then those people that are listening can hear what safety sounds like and realize that it is possible for anybody to get into that space. And so that's what we're just trying to give here. And I appreciate you coming on and, and saying that to us as well. So and you gave, you. A, you gave me an idea that 10 years from now, we're going to have the same guests. again same questions i'm telling you and what are your values right what are your values and what has changed and like having them before they come on listen to the podcast that they did 10 years ago and see what's changed i think that's a really good idea i love that i well i will say even if i hadn't been on the i would if i knew about a podcast doing that i would absolutely listen to every episode you know what i mean like so yeah, yeah. challenge them again again thank you so much doug absolutely. i really really appreciate your time and, and your vulnerability and yeah thank you thank you again yeah absolutely thank you both so much all right thanks doug yep. talk to you later later another great podcast yeah, we keep really getting these amazing guests and I'm just so excited to see who we have next week and keep learning and growing and, I don't know, finding a space where people feel safe and vulnerable enough to talk about some of these really hard, challenging times in their lives that created who they are today. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much, Rachel, for helping me to create that space. So always, always. always. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week then. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.